just scratching his tits like a monkey right now. Now, let me welcome everyone to episode 109 of the Light Shed Podcast. Brandon Ross and Richard Greenfield coming from you to you from California, and Walter Pisick back on the East Coast. Hey, Walt, haven't seen you all week. Yeah. I mean, I wish I was in Utah right now, which is what my backdrop is, but... Um, Do you know what's going on in Utah this no, week? No, what? It's something bad? Alta, no, Alta got two feet of snow. Oh, nice. Well... A little late May, early June surprise. Nice. Yeah. How is Los Angeles? We're not in Los Angeles, Joe Galone. <laughs> Joe Galone, I, it, this actually is incredible. Because Joe Galone knows we do two like big bus tours every year. One of them after Thanksgiving is in LA and we meet with whatever 26 companies. And then the other one is the the week after Memorial Day now in San Francisco. It has been that way for how long, Rich? (laughs) A long time. Many, many, many years. But Joe, for some reason, thought we were in LA. This is what happens when you don't spend 40 hours in the office per week as required by (laughs) By Elon (laughs) Elon and company. Rich, what do you think your buddies at Twitter are going to say after Elon completes this purchase um, and they have to show up to the office 40 hours a week? Look, I think the crazy thing, Walt, we've been on a bus tour for four days or three days. (laughs) And I honestly don't think there's one investor that we talk to or even one company we talk to that think this deal is getting done at 5420. Most don't even think it's getting done. No one thinks it's getting done at 5420. No one thinks it's getting done at 5420. And most don't even think it's getting done. So it's probably worth 420 now. (laughs) But they're they're our podcast listeners. So they just they listen to our debate and they just think we're jackals then. Yeah, (laughs) that's fine. The funny thing about return to office and what Elon had originally said about it should be like a homeless shelter, um, (laughs) probably accurate. We went to many offices um, in San Francisco. It's crazy. Every time we entered the office, they had to turn the lights on. And like we went into the conference room and whatever CE or CF, whatever O we were meeting with um, was like in the office for the first time in like months just to see us. It was was insane. I was in I was in New York City this week um, and New York City's vibe is coming back, man. Midtown. It's not coming back. People are out. They're not back. Yeah, no, no one's wearing masks around town, and like the restaurants are, are kind of pumping. the the train The train station from where I where I live is was kind of packed. So, I don't know what the fuck's going on in San Francisco, like, dude. I we budgeted meetings. I saw some zombies, <laughs> but no, no. But but it was crazy. Is like we, I budgeted like an hour to get from like the Rosewood, which is my background where we're staying to get to, to get to downtown was that a flex rich that we're staying no. at the rich you head into the rosewood bar later 
Uh, well, it is Thursday night. Will, you know what that means. Exactly. We're not going to tell you, but you could just look up the, yes. what was it, New York Magazine article on it. Yes. <laughs> That's why, by the way, um, a few clients and friends wanted to go to the Warriors Celtics game tonight. Um, and I was like, oh, I should kind of do that. And it'll be cool because I'm going to go to the Ranger game tomorrow and to do like the Coast Coast NBA NHL thing. LeBron. Yeah, I, th- I thought that would have been pretty sweet. But then I was like, it's Thursday night at the Rosewood. <laughs> <laughs> also getting down to San Jose, where it might be a little rough. But I will tell you, the traffic, I mean, just there's no traffic. There's no it cars. There's no sweet. traffic. You, you drive. We, we drove by downtown. Like we were driving by, you know, parts of downtown in the financial district. There's no people. Like it's just empty. Like you just w- drive by like at noon today and there's just no humans. Like it's just, it's, it's completely bizarre relative well, to New York, they all, which feels hopping in Texas alive. and Florida. Uh, I don't know. It's it was really also, weird. it was also weird because in some of these meetings, it was almost like hybrid. You would have like one exact, like discord's actually a pretty good example of this. You had the CFO was in the conference room and the CEO was on Zoom. I guess he had COVID, though. Or so he claimed. He was in Hawaii with COVID. <laughs> <laughs> I think oh, he was like, why, why would I come back to from Hawaii yeah. to be with these exactly. fucking guys? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Let's get Still started. Symptoms. <laughs> All right. Let's get started. Our what first slide, obviously. Here? Well, I mean, Brandon, why don't you read it? This is from Bloomberg. Breaking. Sheryl Sandberg is stepping down as Meta's Meta, the company formerly known as Facebook's COO after a 14 year run that made her one of the most powerful women in Silicon Valley. All right, Rich. They also changed their ticker. Where did they get that no. ticker, by the way? I thought what's the ticker's this? next they got week. it from Matt Paul. I think. How much did Matt get paid? I don't know. Matt owned that ticker, right? Yeah. He owned that-, that ticker for his ETF, which I yeah. think is trading at the limit approaching zero right now. <laughs> what up, Soho House? <laughs> so he, so he, it's uh, asymptotic I guess, to zero. <laughs> he's going to make more money on selling the ticker than he. Oh did yeah, absolutely. The, the the whatever that thing was itself. Pretty. Lucky. I'm sorry, Rich. I'm sorry to digress. What Cheryl? No. Sandler, what What do you no, want to no, say no, about I, Cheryl? She's gone. I, well, look, it's certainly no surprise that Cheryl's gone, given the sort of the change of the company to, quote unquote, metaverse or whatever that's ultimately going to be. I was surprised. I let out a gasp when I read it. I just think that my guess is there's more to this than meets the eye. And I can't figure out. And hopefully one of our podcast listeners can enlighten us over the course of the next week or two. But it just feels like there's more to this than Yes, they're moving to the metaverse and Facebook blue and Instagram sort of feel like second class citizens. And yes, TikTok is cool. And Facebook reels is definitely not cool. And maybe it's that simple. Maybe this is going out on top. And this is, you know, on this top? has been the uh, they, well, on top. This is not the top. <laughs> if she wants to go out on top, she probably should have left after the pivot um, to mobile, because that was I mean, if we look back, Cheryl's greatest accomplishment besides being the, quote, adult in the room to the younger Zuck, um, theoretically, was that pivot to figuring out mobile and the newsfeed advertising. That was her greatest accomplishment. 
I think, and something that was that scroll was copied by everybody, right? Sure. So that that and, set the tone and, for mobile, even though they were quote late to mobile. Oh, and in feed advertising, like in feed yeah. advertising, and that whole business model. I don't know. It's just it's sort of strange. I mean, again, given the challenges Facebook faces right now or Meta faces, there is nothing that's shocking about this happening. In many ways, it's just like why now versus six months ago or a year ago or a year from now? I have no idea, but I still just wonder whether there's more to this. Was there, you know, was Cheryl against the direction to the metaverse? Like, is there any part of this that that she didn't agree with sort of some of the things or the direction they're heading? And that's what I would love to know. Like, does Cheryl really believe in Mark's vision? I I guess if I could ask her one question and get a real answer, that's what I'd love to know. When are midterms? there, there was some speculation that she's interested in politics again. I think I, I would find it to be challenging potentially for her to start winning elections if, if that was the case, given the Cambridge Analytica situation or to, you know, for for her to um, be accepted in, you know, as an officer in a, in a cabinet or administration. I don't know about that. I, I mean, maybe. I think, yeah. There's plenty uh, of spots that, I mean, look, there's been much, many more confirm, uh, oh, controversial an FCC people. spot open. Maybe yeah, exactly. that's what she left no, for. <laughs> hardly. There's many controversial people that get put into many yeah. different positions and in, in cabinets. The, the only wild thing, if you want to just think about sort of the, the wild out there idea is just, you know, obviously there's lots of questions of does JPEG survive long term at Disney? Would JPEG want a strong number two? There really has never been a strong partner. Forget about Disney. strong number two. I mean, JPEG's contract is up and hasn't been renewed. There had been speculation before JPEG got the job that Cheryl could potentially be a candidate. Could- oh, well, she was on the board for many years, along with Jack Dorsey. I'm not betting on Jack becoming CEO of Disney. No, I don't think uh, that's happening. Even though he stepped down, I don't haven't heard that speculation. But but Cheryl's interesting. Like Disney's getting more into digital advertising. Obviously, yeah. Disney Plus is doing ads. Um, Disney's future probably is more obviously in the internet world um, from a traditional television. So it's it's an interesting idea. I have no idea whether she even would want a job that. Um, grueling and all encompassing after 14 years at, at, at Meta Facebook. But it's just interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. I mean, the other thing, if you want to go like away from any conspiracy theory, um, you can. <laughs> Speaking go, of Facebook. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, well um, done, Walt. No, you can also just like kind of like take it on face value and be like, look, she just went through a grueling however many years at that company. Um, she has a, you know, family, she just got remarried, um, and now has additional kids and maybe she wants to spend time with family. I think think it's fair. And I think leaving at the peak of the controversy, this is not the high, but maybe, maybe the noise factor around all the stuff that they do, (laughs) um, has died down enough where it's a, it's a quieter time to, to kind of, you know, kick out. And if you did it, and if you did it in August, like a August Friday, that would be a little bit too much. And yeah, I think I think it's you know, it's very well timed to lean into her retirement from Facebook. Regardless, it was it was 
it was certainly fun to have it happen while we were out here with everyone. Yeah, it was hilarious. Wanted to talk about it. it and was then, amazing. And then we were at a VC dinner last night, right? And there were people there, you know, the former, really the first GC of Facebook happened to be at the dinner, which was pretty awesome. I have a pretty good story about that. Maybe I'll tell later. Um, but yeah, that was good. I, the big question for me now is forget about Cheryl, right? Because, you know, at, for investors, what's important now is where it leaves Facebook and the new org structure. And, you know, they have a replacement already, right? So what's, the, there's no question. Well, they, about well, they sort of they broke have a, the job up into pieces. Yeah. They didn't just replace her. Yeah. She's irreplaceable. That's the question. Is she irreplaceable and where does this leave Facebook? I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I, I look, I'm, I'm far more worried about the innovation or lack thereof on core Facebook blue and Instagram and the pressure from TikTok, which every sign out here seems to be that TikTok is just continuing to scale and grow. Yeah. That and, was very and- clear from all our meetings. I don't want to like give too much away about the trip, but one like broad takeaway was, you know, TikTok continuing to move. Someone did call Walt out in in a meeting, though, in the in that for that idea that TikTok might actually, you know, at some point stop um, growing and could wind up at a, at a height. But the other interesting thing about TikTok that we heard is like on advertising, they're really nowhere because they don't have the infrastructure yet. So I have, is, I have breaking news on that front. Uh oh, I got his finger my went first. Up like four I times. got my I first advertisement on my TikTok last night. Wow! What was it for, they, Walt? They, I actually I can't remember. What was it for? I can't remember. But they wanted me to click through to fucking buy something, and that had never happened to me before. Like a so case I'm, I'm out of the control group. The streak, the streak is <laughs> either over. Either that or TikTok is struggling and they're having to move their control group people into the pay group to try and get some more conversions. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> you heard it here first. The that is, is here. That is amazing. No, but it is important that it's going to take some time for TikTok to really be able to, you know, take m- meaningful share because they have to get that infrastructure in place. Yep. Okay, let's move on to um, other big executive news this week was, mm-hmm. you know, Zaslav at, over at Warner well, Bros. Well, why don't you read the tweet? I will read the tweet. Joe Rich, Flynn, another read that wrong. friend of Lightshed, David Joe Zaslav Flynn. At, Warner, <laughs> yes. at, at Warner Bros. Thank you. Joe Flint um, <laughs> writes, another big shakeup at Warner Not a Bros. friend of Lightshed. No, stop. (laughs) Another big shakeup at Warner Bros. is Mike DeLuca and Pam Abdi have been tapped to lead the movie group. Former head Toby Emmerich lands production deal. The latest leadership change by Warner Bros. Discovery CEO David Zaslav uh, in the Wall Street Journal this week. Um, Least surprising headline I've probably seen because we sort of all expected Zaslav to continue to sort of transform the management team. Uh, basically every single person is being removed who was at Warner media. And it's a sort of an entirely new David team from heads of CNN. I mean, you just look across the company and it's, I it's thought all they were teams all from Alaska where all their shows take place. No, they're just all new executives. And 
you know, look, the reality is DeLuca is a former new line, you know, meaning worked at the Time Warner. I mean, you've got people that certainly know these businesses and Toby was from new line. So, and he's going to do production. I, I don't know how much to make of this. I just think it's interesting of just how much change is happening inside of Warner media in a very short period of time. And, you know, you're integrating this company, you're trying to redirect it, and you're also making pretty substantial executive changes. Uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, you know, I think Toby was pretty well liked. The, obviously, the, the big opportunity that DeLuca and team have to figure out is DC Comics. That is the massive, you know, yeah. well, huge that's opportunity. A me- that's a mega unlock. I mean, they they also have to figure <laughs> figure out how to make HBO Max more of a regular habit. One one interesting statistic that we saw this week, Rich, um, when we met with Samba TV, they they had in the meeting they pulled up a slide that showed those services um, what percent of their subscribers only watched one show in an entire quarter. One of their top fifty shows. Or top Meaning, 100. Or whatever. Same but, they, but basically, essentially, they were low engage, had very low engagement subscribers. Right. And, right. and HBO was above 50% somewhere, I believe. Sure. I'm actually, I think. Not uh, as high as Hulu. Hulu is Hulu, the highest. Which Hulu is, is by far the highest. And I think that's because yeah. Hulu has like, you know, people came in. It was the show that people were talking about. Pamela and Tommy Lee was the highest most watched show over the last like three or six months, but people just watch that and they didn't go to any other. Correct. And whereas Disney plus that was similar to Netflix. Disney plus actually had very good numbers. I don't know if that's because of the kids kids content, but for not being general entertainment, that number was good. Netflix was the lowest. I remember at 30% though on the, on that scale. and this all speaks to churn, right? I mean, if, if you're only if you're not watching a lot, you have a much higher proclivity to come in and out of this service because it's easy to sign up and cancel. And so, I, to me, it just and there's it, no it, pricing it, power is the other thing. Look, it it, it 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 screamed one thing to me, which is Disney, and we wrote it earlier in the year. Disney does not need to own Hulu. All of Disney's adult programming could easily live on Disney Plus with a you know a age you know, sort of controlled button, just the way Netflix has an age controlled button. There doesn't need to be two separate services, one called Hulu and one called Disney plus. Okay, But then you need a buyer for Hulu. Sure. Well, I still think Comcast would buy it. I mean, does Comcast want to spend $16 billion on Hulu right now? Sure. I I probably would do that than lose two and a half billion dollars on Peacock. Uh, for the foreseeable future, that would seem like a better place to be if I was sitting in Comcast shoes. And I think I think Comcast would do it. I think Jeff Shell would love to own. I mean, I know Jeff Shell would. I guess the question is, does Brian yeah, want to Bri- own? I mean, it always comes down to Brian when you're talking about Comcast, right? I don't know. If, if I was Brian, I think 44 million subscribers would seem and like then a you just roll, place. And then you just roll Peacock into it, including all yeah. of that the uh, the stuff that comes along with it, like WWE, and, and you, et cetera. And you rebrand the VMVPD, or like they right, they have they have a VMVPD on Hulu called Hulu Live. You rebrand it Flex and you put it with the well, new you don't Flex have to, joint you don't venture. have to do that. 
you don't have to, but you easily could. I don't know. It, it just if Comcast is going to roll out set top boxes and or TV yeah, OEMs, it, it, like it, it, feel, it feels strategically right. Yeah, if they're, I mean, it gives them a better version of the Roku channel, right? To to attach to their TV OS or dongle or whatever the fuck you want to call it. So we'll see. The, the other, we obviously, we, we saw Reed Hastings earlier this week uh, on the trip. and He seemed, uh, by the way, to be in a better mood than last, when we saw him a month ago. But Well, I look, I think Stranger Things crushed, you know, we have this tweet here from Forbes, Stranger Things season four, Stratters Bridgerton's Netflix opening weekend record. You know, clearly there's some good news on the content side. Um, I think there was a lot of reports out that it did better than Obi-Wan did over the course of the week. Even though Obi-Wan was very good numbers for Disney, Obviously, there's a lot more Netflix subscribers in the U.S. or worldwide, and Stranger Things 4 did great. So well, it's interesting on Obi-Wan, someone, one of our clients on the trip pointed out that like the Google trend searches for Obi-Wan were absolutely awful. If what did you think of it? Did, what'd you, what's the review, Walt? Well, I was going to say, as you probably know, I've had a very busy couple of weeks, um, so I have not actually watched one episode of Obi-Wan. Part of that is one of my kids that I watched with is not with me at the moment. Um, well, it's be, what, it was that. Well, congratulations, obviously. Walt, Walt's um, son graduated college. Right. So and what I was going to go on to say is that we're actually ironically watching Stranger Things. My memory was not that good. So we're I'm. Um, um, rewatching season three, but my daughter binged season four. Um, my younger son was watching, was more, who's you know, kind of into Marvel, pretty into Marvel, was more interested in watching Stranger Things season four. So, at least in our household, Netflix has been cranking multi streams on Stranger Things, um, rather than Obi Wan at the, at the Can moment. Can I ask you a question though, on tied to that? Go for because it because we always bring this topic up and would your kids be upset if they had to watch stranger things over the span of 10 weeks? Um, I think my daughter appreciates watching it straight through. So, yeah, I think we've had this discussion before and it's like, watch it when you want to watch it. So I don't know. It's, it's obviously more consumer friendly, not yeah. to roll it out. week but by week. Does it really, at, the, at this point, I think maybe Netflix might need to start reconsidering, whether you just do everything the consumer wants and thinks about doing things that actually keep people on their on their service so they don't well, churn. It, it was a well, big topic I think they've already on the bus this week. It was a big that. topic. Yeah. As as Reed has lost some religion, even though he says it's not religion. He's clearly lost some religion. I mean, he's doing advertising. I mean, there's definitely, you know, it doesn't, I don't, I don't think um I don't know. We'll see. I mean, there's still a lot of content. I think, you know, at the end of the day, I still think Netflix is a content story. And I think all of these streaming services are about the content. And to Brandon's point on that Samba study, the, the key takeaway is you need a lot of content to satisfy consumers and to keep them engaged. And most of these services are very, very lightly engaged. And, and by the gonna, way, to raise price. Cor correct. Because you're not making money, yeah. right? Like, Disney Plus doesn't make money at $7.99. And so, you know, you need to raise price. And it's going to be very interesting if you don't have a lot of engagement and you're trying to raise price. You know, you can do advertising to lower the price bar and make it easier to raise price on the high end and, and sort of figure that out that way. But 
you know, it's all about engagement, time spent. And if time well, spent is not growing, you got a problem. Rich, maybe I'll call my own audible here and take over the your position, say, because that was the effectively the thesis that I was pushing earlier this week in terms of wireless, where, and this is somewhat related in that they they're they've struggled as we've talked about to get more customers to go to higher rate plans at Verizon uh, because of Disney Plus. They thought may, maybe more customers yeah. could do that. They've you know we have a tweet, a couple of tweets in there now. T-Mobile and Verizon were clapping back and forth this uh, against each other this week about these admin fees that we've profiled his, um, historically. This well, is why don't little, I pull it up? We can audible. I can pull it up. Hold you on. You don't even need to pull it up because it's just a pull description. It up, pull it up. Okay. Well, T-Mobile carrier call out takes aim. They, they, they specifically are basically offering a thousand dollars to take advantage of the press about Verizon. Um, and the and the admin, the additional administrative fee, but look at the end of the day, T-Mobile did the same thing for its own millions of customers for a portion of its base by by increasing fees. So Verizon pointed that out, um, as well as some other incremental fees that they did. So it's you know back and forth kind of news. I don't think it makes a difference. The problem with this wireless industry is, as you know, churns at an all time low, so they can clap back and forth on Twitter. But I don't think the consumers or any of the consumers are changing their their um carrier because of that at&t well because because of higher prices you mean because of administrative fees but at&t um didn't dick around with admin fees they actually did increase prices for 30 percent of their customer base and subsequent to that john stanky when was that like three or four weeks ago great time to do it right into a recession right well that's my point though And, (laughs) and the same thing i think goes to you in terms of oh well recession no, that's not yeah. my my point. No, but I mean, <laughs> right? No, 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 no. I agree with no, you. No, 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 no. Sorry, missed that, Brandon. No, you're no fair, fair, hundred percent a fair point. Right. Although, if you think about it, um, like a recession prevents that Verizon customer from going from the premium plan to the super premium plan, right? To upgrading. Right. Yeah. But what it doesn't prevent them from doing is that when you jack them on price, that they're not going to churn, or or maybe they're not going to churn as much as these carriers think they are. And, and well, so maybe they could go to prepaid or whatever, right? They could maybe there, there are cheaper alternatives. You know yeah. where they could go? Well, they might be more susceptible when they get that snail mail flyer from Charter. <laughs> it look that is certainly could, a possibility. Could, there, could, could raising <laughs> prices into this is this is the blog post? Could raising prices into a recession be? the catalyst for cable to take over the wireless world. The issue well, though is that this recession is a little bit different. This recession is a little bit different because we have a lot of inflation. So you also have the backdrop of like you're seeing prices increase across the board for everything. Right. <laughs> right. So that's your backdrop. So whether it's Netflix jacking you for an extra two dollars or Verizon like jacking your bill for $4. And again, to, to, to uh, complete my point on AT&T, it's not clear that they are seeing churn from the customers that they just increased price by $6 to. So like the canary in the coal mine thus far is that you can increase price on the customers and you're not going to get an abnormal amount of churn. Like it's early, I'm sure, but like, why not try? But it sort of makes me more interested in the whole plus play thing that I know you've been really focused on, Walton. We definitely kind of conversation shifted to it a bit with investors this week of like plus play, you know, press play. You know, isn't it plus play? It's plus play. Plus play. Like, no, no, no. As a reminder, yeah, press play, Rich. 
no press play no, plus <laughs> press play was a music <laughs> service like a decade convinced ago. him that it was a different name plus Got play it. is for those that don't <laughs> remember is verizon's aggregation of multiple streaming services that you can turn things on and off easier and they can maybe do it help companies like netflix um to save that customer who might be turning off because they just binged stranger things so right and so if they make it easy or they they start aggregating streaming services and make it sort of into this dashboard does that just make it a little bit do you forget a little bit about turning them off like if you just start you know rather than doing it directly when you start doing it through a third party does it actually reduce churn a little bit and especially as in, in an inflationary environment well you would say it, it makes it, it should in some ways it could increase it because you can you have one spot to manage your your thing but on the flip side what um verizon can do that apple which effectively does this with their subscriptions doesn't do is when you go to disconnect they try and retain you in some way, right? They use their AI to say right. like, how do I keep you on here? What else can I bundle? What other offer can I give you uh, to keep you on there? And that's theoretically the value add that that someone that's in the consumer facing business <laughs> can do to try and help these companies. Right. And they all- In, the, in an ultra competitive environment. Right. But look at wireless churn. economy. Where Look you at need wireless it. churn. It's fucking record lows. And yeah. like, who does a better job at retaining customers than a wireless operator? Well, who, I mean, I don't, I mean, look, I the think it is 0.8% a month. Wait, I, I thought cable has the lowest churn in the entire world. What, the what? Unreported. Because people move. <laughs> people move. The unreported metric. I think there's, there's something called inertia on on walt and so like you can't give them all the credit for something that's like 95 percent inertia inertia, you induce inertia though with phone payment plans like you make it a challenge for this customer to leave and the lack (laughs) of differentiation also in the industry is a big part of it i mean look it's been a it's been a yeah you make it a challenge like cable, cable was supposed you, to destroy like cable this. Did, you can't return your box. It's hard to turn off. Like it's a totally different thing um, when you're talking about streaming services. When all you have to do is fucking click a button. That's a hundred percent true. To give these guys the credit for being able to solve that problem because they're better at churn reduction. I don't know if that makes sense for them to be a neutral third party that can throw out offers and do other things. Um, to to help churn, that makes more sense to me. I, I, well, we'll say. I think Verizon already has the stats to back it up in terms of the customers that have been subscribing through them for um, streaming services and the churn rate on those customers versus a traditional Disney Plus customer. Yeah, and because it's like live, like jammed into their bill. Yeah. I mean, that's that's all it is. <laughs> But that's your merch. You're also merchandising. We can agree to disagree. You're also merchandising through the carrier, which allows you to to put it in that bill as opposed to be able to like straight go be watching and click. We can agree to disagree. In my view, if your subscription is on Plus Play Mm -hmm. versus on sitting at Apple or sitting somewhere else, Mm -hmm. that your churn is going to be notably different if you're the streaming guys, if if your subscriptions are going to be matched. We'll see the results from Plus Play when, when they. To, to be fair, though, to be fair, and just to come back to the Samba study, it's least relevant for Netflix because they do have the lowest churn in the industry. It is very, very relevant for yeah. players like people Paramount don't even Plus realize. And Hulu. 
how like, I don't think they realize Netflix how high Hulu is. churn is. Yeah. Yep. Netflix churn, it's not like wireless level churn. No. But I think it's cable level churn. Well, which makes sense because you're using something to, I mean, remember the average Netflix household is two to two and a half hours a day. It is something that is being used. Yes, they haven't as had as many high profile hits to drive gross ads, but they don't have a churn. I mean, churn is, they said, you know, slightly, well, I think slightly the gross, elevated. I think the gross, at least I, I assume we're talking in this instance about what's relevant to plus play, which is Correct. in the United States where churn is super duper duper low. The problem that Netflix has is saturation here and that they have a very high base. So a little uptick in churn looks like a lot of subscribers from a, from a, uh, a net number, right? So I don't know how much this necessarily helps Netflix, but for the others, when churn is high single digits or whatever it may be, yeah. Brandon, we want to shift to sports. Okay. Well, this is from Austin Carp. NBA playoffs now averaging 4.2 million viewers heading into Warriors Celtics finals. Best figure since 4.6 million headed into Cavs Warriors in 18. Celtics Heat Game 7, Sunday night, 9.9 million is best conference finals game since Warriors Rockets Game 7 in 2018, which was 14.8 million. Wow, that's a 14.8 versus 9.9 is um, quite a difference. I think the biggest takeaway on sports, and we, and we talked about this, I think last week or the week after, um, is that, and you see this in the NHL too, sports ratings getting better and better, accelerating as we move um, through these playoffs. I think that Ranger series last round um, shattered, you know, some multi, like real multi, multi-year records for hockey Another thing we've talked about is it matters what network you're on and the success of hockey on ESPN relative to what it was on NBC is something to kind of watch for and think about. Um, Brandon, what do you think is better, playoff hockey or playoff basketball? Okay. All right. That was a setup uh, because I actually forgot about that story. Right. So this is this is this is what I'm here for, Brandon. I'm here to be the adult. This is the Chris, the Chris Kelly story. And Walt will like this because it involves your friend, Andrew Berliner. So we're talking about we're at this dinner and we're talking about the Rangers. And um, Chris goes, oh, I actually watched game seven of the Canes series, you know, wasn't that exciting. And Andrew's like, well, playoff hockey is so much more exciting than playoff basketball. And Chris goes, well, I disagree. And so he goes, oh, you like basketball or something? And he goes, I like basketball. I'm the owner of the Sacramento Kings. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, yeah, I guess you could say that I that I like basketball. <laughs> Dude, it was amazing. amazing. It was hilarious. Like everyone was just amazing. yeah. And then <laughs> he's so like, good. he's like, well, um, and then Chris is like, oh, I, I did go to um a San Jose Sharks playoff game once. And and Andrew's like, well, 
I w- was attending F8 one year and I went to a, um, uh, a San Jose Sharks hockey you know, playoff game. And then, you know, and the irony there, coincidence there is Chris also, you know, was at Facebook at the time as the GC. So whatever. <laughs> Andrew was hilarious, though. Uh, he like didn't know who he was. He should have been like, I am the owner of like OLED, I am the owner of an OLED TV that really shows the, the uh, hockey puck. Oh, just so you know, Nitz came up a lot. A no, lot Nitz during didn't our come show. up. Rich thought he was being funny by bringing Nitz up because yeah, we had a lot on. connected TV was a huge theme on this trip. And we met with a number of different companies um, related Roku, Samsung, whatever. Okay. And we were trying to figure out what drives purchasing decision um, for televisions. And Rich just kept making the joke. Um, Branding keeps telling me to get a lot of nits. And I was like, that had nothing to do with the TV. So does it that drive purchase decisions or is it, no. is it the operating? No. Okay. Well, Not even the, the operating system doesn't drive it either. Well, that, that, that was the whole point. I mean, Roku wants you to believe that the operating system obviously that's our point of differentiation does drive purchase decisions that and obviously price is a big one and the idea is um for tcl they could use lower cost components because the operating system so much better which allows them to to uh lower the price um one big takeaway i had from this from this week though is that tvos world is going to get much more competitive even than it is now you know maybe one form of competition would be having an app that would control my google tv (laughs) is this a transition to that i don't even know why we're doing this trying to transition we can transition to that i mean you're you don't want to talk about connected tv and isn't that isn't this part of connected tv this is totally connected to TV, and I think this I is guess actually it is connected to TV. Oh, that yes, it is. Oh, <laughs> Brandon, Brandon, <laughs> what? <laughs> this is actually, and I, and I know that you don't love this slide, but this is a very, very big deal because what Google is doing with Google TV is really making a universal watch list that lives on your phone. So whether you want to watch these things on your phone, whether you want to watch them on your TV, it becomes a remote for your TV. It's already existed on Android. But obviously yeah. for the iPhone world. And it was interesting. Google literally transformed. So there was a Google Play app. So if you wanted to go in the Google Play Store and you wanted, to, if you had bought movies or TVs, they took that app and they just basically reskinned the app. So if you had it on your phone, it just became Google TV. And that app now is a remote control for your TV, but it also literally becomes sort of this universal watch list. And what, what, Whether, explain universal watch list, right? It is so an you can, overlay that ties together all of the streaming the things services. that you subscribe to. So it's almost like an operating system over an operating system on mobile. Is that a good way to? Um, maybe. I, I guess it, it's sort of what Apple your video TV. watching operating system on mobile now. Oh, I, I like the it, remote control po- portion is like. Who gives a shit? Like, it's like Google tried to, you know, that Chromecast didn't have a remote control because they thought everyone wanted to start with the app on their phone. You remember that? And no one yeah. did. And Chromecast went absolutely nowhere. And then when they came out with Google TV, it had a remote. 
So like that part, I don't think matters at all. If you think something's interesting about it, it may be that sort of bringing together of all your subscriptions into one app where you can choose what to watch without starting directly in the app. Right. And you're starting you're creating a playlist of everything you may want to watch. And it's suggesting things to you to add to that universal yeah. watch list. And then you click play and it either appears on your phone or plays on your TV. And it's just connecting all of those experiences seamlessly. But the, the bigger story here is just Google is spending more and more money. We heard during our trip, Google is spending a lot of money to make sure that their TVs are being presented when you Bounties. walk into a Best Buy. Yeah. Like th- they are just getting more yeah. and more aggressive. It's strategically with more important to Google. It's strategically more important to Samsung. There's other players coming in. We know Comcast and Charter. It's now strategically important to. Um, so, so that, that's, that's really the reason that. Uh, even more competitively intense battleground than before. This I'm going to let Walt read because I know he loves this one. <laughs> and, and, and he loves who, who tweeted it. We love the author yeah. and the tweet. <laughs> I'm this not sure I use whammy. the word love for Alex Sherman, but I'll call him acquaintance of lightshed. Um, <laughs> Mark Kelly and I really enjoy some of his tweets and their horrible attempt at humor. Anyway, he tweets big regional sports network news. Nezen, N-E-S-N. How do Nesson. you even pronounce it? It's Nesson, right? Nesson. It's it's for all the New England say. sports. The network. Boston people. The, the mass Massachusetts oh. <laughs> sports fans. <laughs> Nezen becomes first RSN to offer out of the bundle streaming access, but going to cost you $30 a month after a $1 first you. month promotional price. I, can't, I tried. I tried. $30 for it. I mean, there. I'm sure there's some diehard title town people that, that will pay 30. You could, you might as well charge them fucking 300. They'll probably pay it. Yeah. But, but if you're but, paying $30 for your fucking RSN, like you could, just get is Nesson available on YouTube TV? Even if it's not, it's definitely in Hulu Live, whatever. And then you also get the national stuff. Hate to say it, but if you want to watch your Boston Celtics play in the NBA Finals tonight, having that Nesson subscription isn't going to help you. Yeah, but you're going to be at the bar anyway, though, watching the game. The so. bar. The bar. And to pick something uh, up at the Pakistan. <laughs> I just. Uh, all of these, all of these regional sports networks want to go over the top because they feel the pressure to be like Netflix, to be like Disney Plus, and to break the bundle. The problem is, as Brandon just said, when you have a tiny sliver of the overall sport, you need a bundle. Yeah. Like you need, no, you, con- need you, the national, you need the national also. When ESPN, you know, goes over the top and you know the the Turner shit is all available on HBO Max or whatever, then, you know, you can fully break the bundle. Until that happens, sports fans are going to probably just subscribe to the fucking bundle. So what's what does that mean for the future of the RSNs, Senor Greenfield? <laughs> I mean, my, my gut instinct on the future of the RSNs is – the business keeps shrinking and shrinking, meaning this is, it is in not secular decline, Rich. <laughs> I think it, you know, 
I, I, I have trouble with that. So. He said to he said, told someone their business. I don't remember who it was this week was in secular decline. He was like, oh, so like it, it's who I don't even remember, Rich. They were like, oh, you're saying that we're just going to be <laughs> negative forever. Like, Brandon, yeah. um, I, I know you um, I know you love terminology, but I, I would look at. And you, I know, actually, I know you think I can't do math, but, but when I think when that, that was the other, another amazing okay. thing was Rich Here was helping go. his middle schooler with math on, um, on the, well, I couldn't, I can't do today. middle school math. Have you, for, first of all, Brandon, once you have kids and you learn the new math or try to learn the By new time math, I luck. have kids, I'm going to be like, good when they're luck. in middle yeah, school, they'll probably change it again. I'm, I'm going to be in an old age home. So <laughs> I won't be able to help them. <laughs> I cannot do any of the math my kids have done. Anyway, go on, Rich. What were you saying? I, I was just going to say Sinclair, before they bought the RSNs, was doing a billion six of EBITDA, and they're now going to do 250 million of EBITDA. So I can, I, I'm not great with math, different. but I think that's dramatically down. And so <laughs> the future of the RSNs is, is very, very great. Okay, that's good. what I have. What's to say. next? What's next is I, I think you and I, Walt, having a pretty good prediction that Top Gun was going to do big numbers. It actually did bigger than expected numbers. Uh, 160 million, biggest Memorial Day weekend ever. Obviously not a lot of competition. Uh, Interestingly, the weekend was roughly flat with pre-pandemic 2019, which was great. You know, it was funny how so many in Hollywood were were sort of taking a victory lap of like, everything's fixed. The, The funny thing is, is, you know, Q2 box office, I just was checking is down 37%. Um, so I bet you this is going to like, this has to, there's been a lot of press about how it's been big and, Oh, this is so great for Tom Cruise. And like people read, you know, that is going to drive another big weekend. It's got to right But now it's, it's gonna, there's a FOMO on this one that I think will extend for the next couple of weekends. What's, what's the, what's the ultimate number? Yeah. I want to see it. But I'm saying like, you know, it was for a, it's good. Great better than the last of the first one, I think. Well, I don't know. Anyway, it's good. But secondly, um, you know, it's getting a lot of press. That's got to help on the FOMO side. Like the, It's the movie to see this summer. Uh, it has definitely got a lot of buzz. It's going to be big. And, you know, to be fair, there isn't a tremendous amount of competition right up against it. And so it, it could run for a few weeks overall. I think that's probably a fair statement. But the bigger problem is, the box office needs one of these every couple of weeks, not a few times a year. And so I think the question now turns into is, are people going to go see lots of movies? I mean, we're seeing a lot of movies that, you know, like nobody saw Downtown Abbey. Did I say it right? Downtown Abbey? No, was that, was that Downtown Abbey? Was that released Did I not say theater? it right? Yeah. How do you Downtown- say it, Rich? But that's just not yeah. a movie. That's just not a, it's not, it's a fair, that's a fair, that's an unfair, excuse me, attack because it's just, it's, it's not meant for the movie. You watch it on television. You're going to wait for it on television. You're not going to go see well, that in the theater. Well, you, 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 uh, okay. Maybe I could appreciate that, but the, this, the first one in 2019 domestically did $97 million. The first Downton Abbey was on the was first Downton Abbey a few years ago. There was a movie and it did 97 million. The second one, what, which came out a couple of weeks ago, million for opening weekend. Yeah, no, no, did ninety-seven million or in total, box office total. total box office, hundred million dollars, hundred million dollars. Just keep that number in your head. Okay, that's a the, not amazing. Go on, sure, but 
let's do less amazing was this one just came out a few weeks ago. And this one has to date done $32 million. Eh, whatever. I don't think this is relevant. Not well, relevant. it just, sh- it, no, it does because it's showing that there's like five movies that just picking actually people want to see in theaters. It's just not really what people will see down now. But no, I think I'm just, I'm saying not a relevant data point. Sorry. Okay, rejecting fine. that as a data point. Reject. Pick, move pick on. And reject that. Movie. Well, well, why are we going. moving on? He doesn't want to talk about it. So you don't want to talk on. about the movies? No. <laughs> we already talked about the movies. We're going to talk, talk about, about Let's hell? talk about the market melting down. It's a two-hour podcast. <laughs> Brandon? Yes. Oh, read we have Brett a tweet McCormick. here from Brett McCormick. Would you like me to read it? Yes. Big news in the ticketing world. The Red Ball SeatGeek have mutually agreed to dissolve their merger due to adverse business environment. The Redbird Capital-backed SPAC was going to take SeatGeek public this spring. Now, when they say adverse business environment, I assume they're not talking about the live entertainment business. No, I mean, okay. So, uh, yeah. Just to be clear. Clearly, they're talking about the capital markets and putting a price on that and getting demand for that issue. Now, the both the primary market and the secondary market have actually been on fire, including the secondary market. That was one of the big takeaways from Live Nation earnings is despite them trying to push primary prices up, um, they uh, secondary was still coming in at a large premium over that. So no doubt SeatGeek is doing well, but if you're, or relatively well now, but if you're an investor, I think you know one thing, if SeatGeek is going to have a very hard time making massive market share gains or meaningful market share gains, gains in primary ticketing. It is Ticketmaster's market now for a lot of reasons, including, you know, balance sheet or capital, the biggest one, like well, just uh, yeah. locked it up. Balance sheet and capital, the ability, you know, to do business with venues, um, shall I say, vertical integration, all the reasons, actually superior technology for on sales, superior technology actually overall at this point. Um, ahead of the competition. It's just, it's it's an impossible um, thing to break. Maybe one day, and if the promise of crypto and like attaching NFTs to tickets um, becomes a thing and you need like a crypto native ticketing company, which I'm skeptical about, as you know, um, maybe you could break it there. But um Nah, I'm not a big believer in that business, unfortunately. Well, talking about um, crypto and not believing, uh, Walter. Uh, yes, Rich, thank you for that segue. Um, <laughs> we could have, by the way, if we were going to talk about crypto, we could have talked about the dude from OpenSea that was arrested for insider trading by buying buying NFTs prior to that. Yeah, that is nuts. Prior not to great. them being featured. Correct. Uh, the OpenSea homepage. That was amazing. Amazing indeed. All right. So uh, what's also amazing is uh, New York State Attorney Letitia James. Our podcast listeners might remember her <laughs> from being the one that pursued trying to stop the Sprint T-Mobile merger. Um, and then that those, those are court cases that I sat through and realized that they were horrible at actually pursuing that case. And uh, we correctly predicted that that thing would actually get approved by Judge Marrero, which it did. So today, um, 
the attorney general says, the cryptocurrency market is extremely unpredictable. Just last month, the market reached record lows and investors lost hundreds of billions of dollars. New Yorkers should be cautious and think twice before putting their hard-earned money into this unstable market. So the original thing when I saw the record lows, I was I was thinking to myself, that's cable with the record lows unreported metric. Then then it obviously occurred to me that I'm not sure. How do you define the crypto market being at record lows? I mean, let's it's take the definitely largest. not at record lows. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> like what, you want to pull up the chart on Ethereum, like the like three year. Bitcoin. I mean, Bitcoin's Bitcoin like even 30K. I hope it's not a 30K. <laughs> I mean, one thing um, went to a record low, and that was Luna. But even the other, some of these other, like, you know, you know what's, you know, Solana crashed this week also. Solana had a, like a down 60 day. Yeah, a lot did. But is that, you know, was is that a record low for Solana? I don't think so. No, obviously not. Exactly. Look at the chart on that too. So how do you have? I'm not even going to say it. Wait, it's you say a, it? It's, it's a, no, it's a funny tweet, and you can do better. Walt loves I mean, to dump on those Dems. I'm just—it's the Attorney General, and you know. Well, we started with Tupac, but we got to end with Biggie. I wanted to start with Biggie, by the way, because Biggie is the best rapper of all time, as we all know. And we all know that. represent the East Coast because that's who we all are. So you're going East Coast on the West Coast. Well, this is going back to Cali. Brandon, you put so much thought into me. When are you coming home? When are you fly? I'm coming home tomorrow. Tomorrow morning. Oh, really? No, Rich and I actually have a dinner tonight for work dinner. And um, then we're going to hit the bar at the Rosewood. We have our team dinner on Tuesday night. Maybe we should invite any podcast listeners to join us for post-dinner drinks. Let us know. It'll be in Manhattan somewhere. Reach out to us and maybe we can, you know, link up. We're doing that dinner outside. I'm actually getting... Because you're getting nervous about going to Africa and getting COVID? Because I can't, I can't hike with the monkey, uh, the apes. If I, um, if I have COVID, they, they actually do a PCR test to get into the national park. If I fail that PCR test, that will be very bad. Well, don't care what you have to wear your mask. Then. Great weekend, everyone. That's episode 109. Well, keep it going. All I got is beef with those that violate me. Oh, so good. I shall annihilate me. Case closed, suitcase filled with...